Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share His grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. Good morning, church. So excited to be here alongside my colleagues, friends from many years ago. The Lord is good. Like Pastor Ryan said, and thank you, Pastor Ryan, for this opportunity, um, the goodness of God is not measured with time. It's timeless. And there's always a connection between what happened before, what is happening now, and what will happen in the future. It's an unbroken demonstration of faithfulness. So the Bible says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And with that comes the continuity of his faithfulness. He was faithful yesterday, he's faithful today, he's faithful forever. And that's so special. Such a joy to be here this morning. Um, I'm excited that Pastor Ryan is taking the church through a teaching on the book of Corinthians. It's it's mind-blowing because Corinthians is so, so powerful. It's not just about the analysis of the the situations that churches, people go through, it's also a revelation of the personality of Jesus Christ and how he responds to the situations of the church. It's so profound in in many ways. Uh, I mean, I'm just, just going to take a few minutes to highlight a few things this morning. I can't pretend to do anything close to what Pastor Ryan is going to be doing in the coming weeks, but we'll just have a little bit of time to Look at a few verses from 1 Corinthians. I'll focus primarily on uh, chapters 1 and 2. Um, perhaps make a reference or two to one or two other verses of Scripture. But I just wanted you to understand that it's not about the narratives of the various experiences, many of them very negative, of the church. But it's about what God can do to change those narratives and the situation that those churches that the church in Corinth, you know, experienced. So if, we, if you don't mind, let's just bow our heads for a second. And Father, we thank you for this opportunity to have fellowship with you and with one another. And as we share from your word, building on what your servant, Ryan, has started, we ask that you breathe upon these words, cause our hearts to be refreshed. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. Let us know that we have been with the Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name, we pray. I wanted to highlight three things that stand out in our, our reading of the book of Corinthians. The first one is the wisdom of God. The second one is the power of God. And the third one, which brings both wisdom and power together, is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if you look at the way Paul Paul begins his teachings in that scripture, he emphasizes the fact that he is on his own, just separate, as a man, yielded to the Lord as a vessel to demonstrate wisdom, power and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And that's very important. Because many times when we walk with the Lord, we tend to forget that there is a link between what we do and what he does through us. 
Paul says, it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. That the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So basically, I am a vessel powered by the Holy Spirit, powered by the Lord Jesus. Of myself, I can do nothing. So when we delink ourselves from the source of power, the source of wisdom, the source of oil, then we are just ordinary people. And we'll be looking at that uh, in, a, in, a, in, a short, in a short while. But let, let's just begin by looking at the subject of wisdom as elaborated, as illustrated in First Corinthians chapter 2. I'll start from chapter 2, then I'll come back to, to, verse, uh, to chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 2, I'm going to look at just one verse for now. And that is verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. It says, Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6 says, How be it, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. I like to look at that verse from the Good News Translation. Let me see if I can just pull it out. It says, um, Good News Translation. It says, how be it? We speak... Sorry, I think I'm, this is KJV. The Good News Translation, uh, just pull it out. I had it listed here. Uh, just a sec. Seems to have disappeared. Anyway, the main thing that, is, that comes out of that verse is that there is wisdom that is linked to man. And there is wisdom that comes from God. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the wisdom of God. And the manifestation of the wisdom of God is different from the manifestation of the wisdom of man. And if you look through scripture, you will see that every time man attempted to manifest wisdom, it almost always came to naught. It did not achieve the end for which it was intended. And we see in our society, a lot of people who are wise, according to the, the definition of the world, wise because they have gone to college, wise because they have acquired experience, wise because they, have, they know so many things, who have brought their wisdom to the fore in trying to relate to or respond to situations have discovered that at the end of their wisdom, nothing came out of it. So Paul says, the princes of the world, the wisdom of the princes of this world has come to naught. It has not yielded anything. So he's laying a foundation so that there is a differentiation between the wisdom that comes from education, from experience, from work, from travel, and all of that, and the wisdom that comes by the Son of God. The wisdom that is the personality, the wisdom that is the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. So wisdom. Now, God 
is wisdom. And because of his wisdom, he has deliberately deactivated every claim to wisdom by man. That's why you see in scripture here, the Bible says that the foolishness of God is wiser than man. Of course, God is not foolish. But what the Bible is saying is where the, wish, the, the foolishness of God begins is the height of the wisdom of man. There is a continuum from A to Z. So let's assume that A to Z, Z is the, the height of the wisdom of man. Z is the height of those who have all the experience in the world, who can do the economic analysis, who can do the forecasting, who have medical knowledge. Their wisdom ends at Z. That is where God's takeoff point is. So you can see the difference. So we think we are so wise because we have studied so much, we know so much. Where our wisdom ends is where God's wisdom begins. That's why the Bible says the foolishness of God is wiser than man. The height of man's wisdom is the beginning, the very scribe, the base of God's wisdom. The wisdom of God defies the wisdom that man exhibits. And the wisdom of God is linked to faith, not to logic. The wisdom of man is linked to logic. I mean, if man were to build anything that had weight, they would think about the law of gravity. But if God were to build anything that had weight, he would think about what works in the circumstance. So an axe can fall in water and float because it is powered by God. But if a wise man put an axe in water, it will sink. And that's the differentiation between the demonstration of the wisdom of man and the demonstration of the wisdom of God. And I wanted to take you to a verse of scripture very quickly. We're moving out of Corinthians, but I just wanted to read to you. So we'll have um, a context to what we're talking about. Isaiah chapter 11. I'm just going to read the first two verses of Isaiah chapter 11, which introduces the Lord Jesus and gives us an understanding of who he is. Isaiah chapter 11 and um, I'll read from verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. This was prophecy. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of the Lord. And that it begins to elaborate on the manifestation, the demonstration of the personality of the spirit of God. He says the spirit of wisdom, principle, and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So when you see the manifestation of the wisdom of God, it's, it's very compound. It's consolidated. It's a reflection of so many factors. So by the time you begin to go through the book of Corinthians and begin to see the manifestation of the wisdom of God, the manifestation of the wisdom of God is also demonstrated in understanding, in might, power, in knowledge, things that the ordinary man cannot know. By the wisdom of God, it is made known. So you start looking, for example, from, verse, from chapter 11 of Corinthians to chapter 13, you see the density of the interplay, the interface 
between the ministry of wisdom and power and how the Holy Spirit is central to both of them. So whether it's about the unity of the church in chapter 11, talking about the unity and how that plays out and how we need to come together as one and celebrate our oneness because we are one in Christ, one body, one bread. Or we're talking about how this is demonstrated in the manifestation of the gifts that the Holy Spirit very freely gives to his people to help ministry, to help in personal life, to help in the work that he has laid in our hands. Or the very critical function of love as a factor in demonstrating and bringing into action, reality, power, wisdom. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that propels us to love. Each of them is a demonstration of what was prophesied about the Lord Jesus. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Very quickly, I'll go to, uh, back to chapter 2 of uh, 1 Corinthians. And let's hear what Paul himself says in verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1 and verse 2. It says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I did not come in excellency of speech. One of the things that is so fascinating about the work of the gospel is that God does not move in the lives of people because of the education of the person who is declaring the word of the Lord. So you can find someone who is uneducated, someone who is a handyman, someone who knows very little about um, the, the complexities of theology, he just knows that once he was blind, now he can see. And he declares it in the simplicity of the gospel. And God uses it to convict the hearts of people. Whereas those who are professors of theology, who know the history of the Jews, who know the history of the Bible, who know so many translations of the Bible, will speak the same word and it will not even move a fly. So it shows you that it is not about what is said, it's about the power behind what is said and the allegiance of the speaker to the source of that power. That's why Paul says, it's no longer I that lives. So he comes here and he says, I, when I came to you, I did not come in excellency of speech. I did not have the words. I did not have the English. I was not articulate. But I only remembered one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then I, I cede power to the Lord Jesus to demonstrate himself. And when he demonstrates himself, things change. And brethren, I want to let you know that sometimes our education becomes a bottleneck, an obstacle to our understanding of the simplicity of the gospel. Paul began ministry first having fellowship with the Lord Jesus. Understanding that Jesus must increase while he decreases. 
And because he did that, the Lord was able to use him to do what had never happened before him. Our understanding of the simplicity of the gospel takes us far. Sometimes people come to you and uh, I think it was over the weekend somebody was saying, you know, when you want to pray, sometimes you, you're looking for someone who will pray and actually shout. And the thinking is when you pray, when you shout when you pray, it comes with more power. But if you are so soft-spoken, when you pray, people tend to feel, oh, this is not very, it's not, not going to work. It's not very effectual. But, but brethren, that, the, the volume of your prayer, the intensity of your prayer, the energy demonstrated, and you know when we were on campus, oh, we had energy. I mean, people could actually run around in time in the place of prayer. It's not that that leads to answers to prayer. It's the power behind the name we call upon. It is the understanding that it's not us, it is Jesus. And that's why Paul said, it's not about me. It's not the excellency of speech. If you did an assessment of me, I'm not qualified to stand before you. But I came knowing Jesus and him crucified. And because I came speaking in the power of the Lord, the Lord did his own work. So I basically was an instrument, a vessel to declare the gospel, and then the Holy Spirit did the rest of it. So that's Paul's introduction of who he is. Now the Bible says in verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In today's world, there are so many apps for so many things. Applications sometimes developed by those who don't know the Lord, but are be helpful. But you know, if we depended on applications that have nothing to do with the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be as powerless, as useless as the applications themselves. The effect that Jesus has in lives has nothing to do with the mode of delivery. It has something to do with his presence. When the presence of the Lord is in a place, it does not matter whether you have a microphone or you don't have a microphone. It does not matter whether you're in a big meeting place or you are in a small room on a farmland. It does not matter whether there is light or there is no light as we have in many parts of, of our world. It just matters that the Holy Spirit has chosen to be there. And when he is there, things happen. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't depend on wisdom of men. Invest in the power of God. Acknowledge that without him, we can do nothing. And you see, one of the things that comes out of Corinthians was there were so many wise people. Too many intelligent people. Too many people that had read so many things. So if you're in a room and you're having a conversation, there will be so many schools of thought. So many perspectives are doing things. And with all of that came confusion, dissensions, disagreements, ego. Who are you? I mean, you went to perhaps UMass. I went to Harvard. So how can you question my perspective. Oh, by the way, you didn't even go to college. What do you know? People did not realize that God does not judge wisdom by college education. 
has nothing to do with wisdom. The wisdom of God respects no man, respects no foundations, respects no orientations, respects no background. It's just the wisdom of God, available to those who would open their hearts to him. So Paul says it's about the power of God. It is not about the wisdom of men. And men will continue to demonstrate wisdom. I, I recall the, the confusion at the beginning of at the, uh, the onset of COVID in early 2020, when all the scientists were trying to explain what was happening. It was theater. Because they disagreed among themselves. Oh, it, it, it flows in the air. No, it doesn't flow in the air. It's on surfaces. No, it's not on surfaces. We need to be four meters apart. No, it's not four. It's two. Oh, it's, there was confusion everywhere. And I'm sure God sat in heaven and laughed. It shows you that the wisdom of man is finite. Every man has a limit to what he knows. There is no man that knows everything. But the God we serve knows everything. And that's the beauty of it all. He knows. He can see the future. He knew that at some point in time, people would relax. He knew that at some point in time, you know, when you look at the logic of the world, the world rewards merit. Merit is you, you are ranked according to achievement. So if you are the highest achiever, you are rewarded for being the best in achievement. That's how the world operates. That's logic. God, let's go to verse 25. Um, back to, no, that, that'll be uh, chapter 1, verse 25. The Bible says, For you see, verse 26, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Did you, did you see that? Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Why does God discriminate against them? No, he doesn't. They discriminate against him. They question his judgment. They question his word. They analyze the scripture. They're trying to find out the scientific basis for healing. How can a man be raised from the dead? It's not scientific. How can you be healed by the laying on of hands? Doesn't make sense. When a man tries to understand faith using common sense, he exhibits the fact that he is distant from the wisdom of God. So when God is selecting people, he avoids those whom the Bible has said are wise, noble, and mighty. God operates from the perspective of, I am the Lord. I make all things new. God picks what the world looks down on. If God picks a mighty person or a wise person and that person succeeds, they will say, of course, he was wise already. He had to succeed. He was noble already. He had to succeed. He had a good college education. So, I mean, he was already intelligent. 
So what does God do? God leaves all of those people out and he goes for those who know nothing. And he picks them, dusts them up, and plants them at the center of his work. And he begins to equip them. And then you begin to wonder, how come this person who is just a fisherman is so eloquent? He knows so much about the word. How come Peter can lay hands on the sick and the sick would recover? Where did he get it from? It creates confusion in the midst of those who are supposed to be noble, who are supposed to be wise, who are supposed to be minded. So the Bible says in verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of the world, things which are despised. And I know many of us have gone through this experience in the past. We were despised. But people are wondering today, how did, how did it happen? We knew this guy. He was, he was a nobody. Suddenly he's at the center of all that is happening. Things that are despised had God chosen. Yeah, things that are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? Verse 28, verse 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Nobody can take credit for the work that God does. God's trademark is there. There is no duplication. There is no counterfeit. So when God does it, it's clear. It appears. And Pastor Ryan was reading, reading the verse a while ago. I will do a new thing. Shall ye not know it? There's no way God does a new thing and you will not know it. It will be clear. There will be something different about it. So when God does it and the world sees it, the world acknowledges that this is different. This is not the work of man. This is the visitation of the God of heaven. And that's what Paul is saying. You want to make progress? Listen to the Lord. You want wisdom? Listen to the Lord. You want to solve very difficult, challenging problems? Listen to the Lord. Forget about your philosophies. Forget about your analytical skills. Forget about the power of reasoning. And let the Holy Spirit do the reasoning for you. And give you peace. Praise the Lord. Let's go a little further. Back to chapter 2. And talk about the Holy Spirit. And then we'll begin to pray. I'll read from verse 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The Bible says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Hidden. The things of God have to be sought out. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you have sought for me with all your heart. There has to be a preparation to be deliberate in seeking the Lord. Seeking the Lord is deliberate. You know, my colleagues are here. Can we remember those days when we could, I mean, stay at the chapel nights on end praying and seeking the face of the Lord. Of course, we pray for our country. We pray for so many things. But the subject that took a lot of time in our praying, and I'm sure they will all acknowledge, 
was getting a life partner, someone to marry. So you could stay for days and weeks praying and praying and praying because you could not afford to make a mistake. If you made a mistake, everything is affected. No matter how much of a minister, the height of your ministry, you have a, a spouse that is not of the Lord, it will collapse. To just take a little bit of time. So we could stay and pray and sweat and fast just because we wanted to get a wife after God's heart. But it was worth it. The Bible says it is hidden. The wisdom of God is not on the pages of the newspaper. You have to go behind the walls to the secret place of the Most High. To the closet where the Holy Spirit meets with you and unveils himself to you. Teaches you. Lets you know this is who I am. This is the way you ought to go. Those mysteries are reserved for those who actively deliberately seek the Lord. And the beauty of that, again, Pastor Ryan was referring to it a while ago, is that we are inducted into what God has set in motion, which you would otherwise not know, except by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible says, in verse 9, but as it is written, eyes have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God had prepared for them that love him. But God had revealed them unto us by his spirit, for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Verse 11, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man, which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. I'll come back to verse 14 in a moment. The beauty of the Holy Spirit is that he knows the mind of God. You want to know the mind of God? Befriend the Holy Spirit. Be close to the Holy Spirit. Cultivate the Holy Spirit. There is no other way. You can read a book, 29 Steps to Knowing the Mind of God. If the Holy Spirit is missing, you will have to come back to step one. The way to the heart of God is the Holy Spirit. The way to the word of God, which is the heart of God, is the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gives us understanding. He's the one that unveils and reveals to us the mind of God. And the Bible is saying, eyes have not seen. There is no way you can understand the things that God has planned for you except by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. There are some of you who have been trusting God for one miracle, one breakthrough or the other, and it seems as if it's not happening. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit will give you the reassurance. The Lord will say to you, I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. When God gives us his word, he does not give us a work plan. He does not give us a timetable. He prepares the manifestation of his word for a set time. So we have assurance that the Lord will do what he has said he will do because his word says so. But we do not know how he will do it. Sometimes we think that when God works with person A, he uses the same paradigm, the same principle to work for person B. It doesn't work that way because God is the only wise God. He chooses the way he does things. Some of us met our wives in the classroom, we're, we're, we're classmates. 
Some met with their wives in shopping malls. Some met in church. Some met on buses, on an airplane. I remember the story of one of the ministers who said he rushed to church one day on a revival meeting. He got to church late and was sitting at the back and he just turned left and said, please, is my hair okay? And the lady beside him said, yes, the hair is okay. And the Holy Spirit told him, that is going to be your wife. That's foolish, right? The foolishness of God is wiser than man. I remember the president of one of the presidents of our fellowships. He was in, for the, he was in school for the day one of school, registration. He was registering on day one in school. And as he was registering, the Lord said to him, lift up your eyes. Let the Lord tell you before you lift up your eyes, by the way. He lifted up his eyes and the Lord said, this is the person you are going to marry. He didn't come to school to marry. He went, came to study. But God started telling him, mark that lady. That will be your wife. It doesn't make sense. Anything that doesn't make sense makes faith. And what matters in the wisdom of God, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, is faith. Take what he has said. Keep it in the tab on the tablet of your heart. Nurture it. Let it incubate. Because it will happen. Some of you, the Lord gave you some words many years ago. Those words are just becoming manifested. They're just happening now. But God spoke to you many years ago. Eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard. It has not entered into the heart of any man. The only person that knows the plans that God has for us is the Holy Spirit. And if you want to have an idea, a, a sneak peek into it, you have to talk to the Holy Spirit and be close to the Holy Spirit. Now the Bible says in verse 12, Now we have received, not the spirit of this world, because there is a spirit of this world, but we have received the spirit who is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. The easiest way to have peace of mind, to know that the Lord has spoken to you, is to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, it's not always easy. Sometimes people pray and pray and pray and it seems like nothing is happening. But the Holy Spirit is working. So even though you're not seeing a physical manifestation of what you've asked of the Lord, God is working. But when you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, he gives you the reassurance that is on your case. He's working. And he helps you to be patient. The Bible says, for you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might obtain the promise. God reminds you to be calm, be still, and know that I am God. Fellowship with God helps you to know that God will not go back on his word. Every word he has spoken will come to pass because his word cannot return to him void. When Moses was at the bank of the Red Sea and the Egyptians were coming down, galloping toward them, and it was like they were trapped between the army of Egypt and the Red Sea. An ordinary man would get confused and say, Lord, what am I doing here? The Bible did not say Moses asked the Lord. The Bible said, Moses said to the children of Israel, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. For the Egyptians you see now, you will see no longer forever. God didn't tell him that. That was based on fellowship. He knew that the Lord would not bring them to the wilderness to destroy them. 
some of the things you are experiencing now is just a point in time. The miracle will come because eyes have not seen, ear had not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what the Lord has prepared for you. Verse 14. For, sorry, this is, verse 14, the Bible says, For the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Have you ever watched a debate of atheists? It's, you just bow your head and say, Lord, have mercy. Let the scales fall off from the eyes of these ones. Visit them with mercy. Let your word have contact with their spirit. The Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God. It's not possible. So the analysis a natural man makes of scripture or gospel matter are natural. They are academic. They don't go beyond the roof. The Bible says because they are foolishness to him. They don't make sense. They don't make sense. Cast your bread upon the waters. After many days, you will find it. doesn't make sense. Because you won't find it physically. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. doesn't make sense. You can't scatter and increase. You consolidate, you bring together, then you increase. But that's the word of the Lord. You scatter. The more you give, the more you have. How does he do it? None of my business. Does he do it? Yes, he does. That's what matters. The natural man, any man that processes things with his senses, will never understand gospel. Will never understand the basis of the work of the Holy Spirit. Because they are foolishness. It doesn't make sense. And that's the favorite refrain or expression of wise people according to the flesh. It doesn't make sense. But for us, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. It makes faith. And we believe it. Why? Because God has said it. He says, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The people who discern spiritual things are people who are spiritual. Who have had an encounter with the Lord. Who are saved by the grace of God, by the redemption work of the Lord Jesus. When they have moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the, of, of, of the Lord Jesus, of, of, his, of his dear son, they begin to receive orientation on things of the spirit. And the Lord begins to teach us a new way, a living way of interacting with him, of understanding him, of appreciating the work that he does. And we begin to remove fear from our daily lives. Because perfect love casts out fear. And if you love the Lord, you will not be afraid. Because he's got you covered. They are spiritually discerned. So anything that is spiritually discerned, necessarily must be by the work of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can help you understand, unpack, clarify the issues around you. And he's the one that will tell you, be still and know that I am God. God has never deceived any man. There is no man in history that God deceived and he will not start with you. 
No way. God has never deceived any man. Men deceive men all the time. It happens every time. They make promises and they tell you, well, things changed. Plans changed. I expected something. It didn't come. The rain fell. The sun shone. The car broke down. Something happened. So I couldn't fulfill my promise. But God's word. <laughs> David said, God has spoken in his holiness. Psalm 108 verse 7. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. Why will he rejoice? Because if God has spoken in his holiness, God's word is exalted above his own name. He will never go back on his word. And if he ever gave you his word, hold on to it. It's precious. Lubricate it with the prayer that you pray every day and say, Holy Spirit, I believe these words. The Lord gave it to me. There are people that God spoke to that they will have children. He didn't come in the first year, not the second, not the third, not the fourth. My younger sister had a baby after 17 years. So for 17 years, they were going to the Lord and said, Lord, you spoke. We believe you. We wait on you for the manifestation of your word. And when God was to manifest his word, he gave them twins. Some people pray for jobs for so many years. They want a big break in their career. It doesn't happen. But when it does happen, it's overwhelming. Some people just sit on the floor and weep because they can't believe how gracious this God can be. But that's the God we serve. Merciful, faithful. Faithful. God has spoken in his, his holiness. I will rejoice. God will cease to be holy when he cannot fulfill his word. And there is no way God will cease to be holy. So, put your fears to rest. Know that God who has spoken will do exactly what he has said he will do. Praise the name of the Lord. Finally, verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let me tell you something this morning. It's not a crime to pass through challenging times. It happens everywhere. Everywhere you go in the world, there are people passing through challenging times. On their jobs, in ministry, in the family, sick relatives, business is not working. It's not a problem to pass through challenging times. When you pass through challenging times, acknowledge the Lord. Know that you are not alone. Walk with the wisdom of the Lord. Do not speak ill with your mouth. People have said in the past, it's, it's not going to work. It's over. Don't use your mouth to nail your destiny. Let your mouth be a, you are an oracle of God. Speak the word of God with your mouth. It is well. When the woman said it is well, it was not well. Because somebody was dead at home. But she dared to trust that the man of God would change the situation. That was a man of God. 
We can dare to trust that God can visit us in the various situations we're passing through and turn our situations around. There are children who left home for, for some years, just walked away, and the parents worried and worried. Some went to the Lord and said, Lord, touch my son, touch my daughter. And they came back home after a while, narrating the experiences they had gone through, and they became changed persons. There are people who invested in businesses, and it failed. But they went to the Lord and said, Lord, help me. By myself, I can do nothing. Who knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God? So let your spirit help me. Let your power visit my situation. Give life to my business. And the Lord hearkened unto them. And they, they don't even remember now that they had failed businesses in the past. There are people who trusted the Lord for children. It didn't seem to come. But when it started coming, like Hannah, they had to say, Lord, slow down. I have enough. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. The Lord, the God we serve, is a God who loves us, who is passionate about us, who wants, to be, who wants us to be united. You see, when you are not united, for example, whether it's in the church or in the home, because there are homes where couples just live together. Nothing joins them together. One is going out and says, um, heading out. They don't even say it verbally. They just drop a note. And then the other one comes back away. I've traveled to LA. That's how they relate. That's not a home. That's not what God intended for marriage. Every situation in which a man finds himself helpless, deviating from what God had ordained for them, when they call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord answers. The Lord visits the situation. There are homes that were on the verge of collapse. And when the Lord came, the Lord brought back the bond. There are businesses that were going bankrupt. When the Lord visited, they came back to life. The life-giving power of the Lord is very present. When God decides to visit you, you would know that the Lord has been there. And Paul said, it's not about what I know. It's not about my eloquence. It's not about my education. It's not about anything me. It's about the God that I serve. The God of wisdom. The wisdom that is, that is uncommon. That the world does not know about. That does not come with education. The wisdom of God does not, and I say that again, with, it does not come with education. It doesn't come with age. The wisdom of God is the wisdom of God. When God gives you wisdom... He gives you wisdom. There are people who are very old. They don't love the Lord. They have no relationship with the Lord. So they speak wisdom based on history and experience. But do you know the name of God? The ancient of days. God is older than them all. So it's not about age. It's about what God has decided to put inside you. The wisdom that the world cannot understand. And he gives you the wisdom, and then he gives you power. Power comes by your association with the Lord Jesus. You are not separate from him. You don't pretend, like Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. A translation says, I do not pretend as if the grace of God is not there. So you don't lay hands on the sick, and the sick recovers, and you begin to think it's by your power. 
God gives you power by himself so that you can acknowledge him. And then he gives you the Holy Spirit who helps you, who teaches you, who reassures you that every word God has spoken about you, he will bring it to pass. And Jesus is evidence that that fellowship you have with the Lord will yield fruit, will yield result. He says, I alone know the plans I have for you. Jeremiah 29, 11. Plans to bring you prosperity and not disaster. Plans, plans to lead, bring about the future that you hope for. I alone. So you want to know what those plans are? You have to go to the Holy Spirit. By fellowship, by prayer, by unity, by communion. Not with dissenting spouses, not with children walking away from the family, but coming together and realizing that the book of Corinthians teaches us that when we stand united, the gifts of the Spirit manifest freely. The fruit of the Spirit manifests freely. Love abounds and the church is built. And when the church is built, the world becomes a fertile ground for the harvest of souls. My prayer this morning is that the Lord will help us, teach us, instruct us, and give us the desire to know him more. Amen. Shall we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for every person gathered here this morning and online. We ask, Lord, that every word you have spoken, you will cause to be established in line with your purpose in the lives of each one of us. Thank you for the series you have started on Corinthians. As your servant continues, Lord, let it be a turning point in the lives of every member of this ministry. Let it be the beginning of things in the explosion of revival that will take place in this church. And Lord, for each one of us who is looking up to you for a visitation, for answers, for revival of personal circumstances, of families, of businesses, of health, show mercy. Show your love. Answer their prayers in righteousness. We thank you and we bless your name. In Jesus' name, we pray. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.